Welcome to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, presented by Tampley Suites, Waco Northeast. This episode, a look at the 1952 Dallas Texans with author Mike Coburn. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast. This episode is presented by the Town Place Suites, Waco Northeast. Come visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame, and when you do, book your stay at the Town Place Suites, Waco Northeast. I'm author and oral historian Jackson Michael, and we're going to delve into some little-known Texas sports history in this episode. Very few people, even knowledgeable NFL fans, know about the 1952 Dallas Texans, an NFL team based in Dallas. They were the very first NFL team in Dallas. Most people who know football fairly well know something about Lamar Hunt, founding the American Football League's Dallas Texans that started play in 1960, a team that is now known as the Kansas City Chiefs. The Dallas Texans that we're discussing in this episode were an NFL team that only played during the 1952 NFL season. To the vast majority of NFL fans, the 1952 Dallas Texans have either been completely unknown or mostly a mystery. Mike Coburn has written a book to fill that gap, and he's here to discuss the book and the original Dallas Texans of 1952. Let's talk about this Dallas Texans book that you're writing and, and what inspired you to write it. Well, that's that's really one of the top questions that I get, uh, the most repeated things that, that people ask. And, and I always came back to two things. Uh, number one, no one has ever written about it before. Number two, not many people know of the story in the first place. You know, there have been hundreds of books chronicling the Dallas Cowboys that came along eight years later. Um, and this team really just kind of suffered the insults of never having anything documenting what they did. So that was kind of the reason. I, I wanted to learn more about it, and I started looking around and found that there was nothing out there. So this is really the first book written devoted to the 1952 Dallas Texans. Yeah, and a lot of people know about the Dallas Texans that Lamar Hunt founded to start the it's now the Kansas City Chiefs franchise but very few people know about the original Dallas Texans when did you first become aware of the NFL's Dallas Texans well I'm dating myself here Jackson but you know before the internet there was this thing called TV and uh, I was watching um, in the early 90s um, you know when the Cowboys were making their march back to prominence um, I was watching ESPN, and they used to have these little shows, NFL Films Presents, and they have little uh, historical features, little snippets, and there was, inside of one of them, there was a seven-minute episode of this team. Uh, you could still find it, Google it on YouTube today. Um, quality's not great, whoever put it on there, it's, it's really fuzzy, but it was the same thing that I saw. Um, and I just thought, wow, you know, we had a team that long ago. Um, and I didn't know about it. And, you know, when things are in black and white and you're, you're in your 30s, you think, wow, that was a really long time ago. Um, but 
you know, I, I realized that we had the Kansas City Chiefs as the Dallas Texans, and I was waiting for that to come up. And I thought, well, you know, if this team is a precursor to even that. So it just got my interest because they were so they were so lousy, and the Cowboys were so good at the time. I just kind of felt like a little puppy in the pet store that nobody wants. You know, so. And who are some of the main characters in the uh, original Dallas Texans story? Well, obviously the players themselves. Um, the millionaire brothers, Giles and Connell Miller, and, and their families. Um, Gordon McClendon, he plays a, a pretty big uh, a pretty big role in it. There's a chapter devoted to him. He was actually the guy that came up with the idea. And Gordon was the founder of, really the founder of Top Radio. Uh, in this area, he owned KLIF as well as other stations, and he did some uh, broadcasting. He had this thing called the Liberty Broadcasting Network, where he would rebroadcast baseball games. And he came to know that the New York Yanks football team had become available, and he inquired with Commissioner Bell, and he got shot down for reasons that people will read in the book. But he was the guy that introduced. Giles and Connell into the picture because he was good friends with them. The head coach, Jimmy Phelan, he plays a, a prominent role. Um, Les Richter, um, he plays a role. Um, they had a Herschel Walker type of trade with, with Richter. They had just drafted him, so they had his rights, and he didn't want to play here, so they got 11 players for him, and he went on to the Hall of Fame, and you'll have to find out what happened to the 11 players. Um, Doak Walker, I mean, he was the biggest college football player that came out of Texas at the time. Um, and the brothers had, they, they didn't know what they were doing. They concocted an idea. Why don't we just try to get him? They didn't realize you can't, you just can't do that. He, he's already playing for somebody else. <laughs> so, <laughs> And um, you, you struck up a friend with the owner's sons, uh, from what I understand. You've, you've talked. Oh, Connell. Yeah. Um, I had, um, I had found Connell through the folks at Texas Monthly Magazine. He had done an article as a guest writer about six years ago. Um, and, you know, since I had always been interested, interested in this, I thought, those are some cool pictures. I'm going to contact them and see if I can get copies. But they put me directly in contact with him. So we just started talking about the team and stuff like that. And, you know, more talking developed along. And I think it was maybe because I had a big appreciation and a strong interest it was something so near and dear to him. Um, I kind of think our relationship, I liken it to the Tuesdays with Maury. I mean, we had kind of set times where I would just bombard him with questions and all. And, uh, you know, he, he gave me so much information and inspiration. I mean, once, once I found out more, um, I don't know, three or four conversations in, I thought, I want to write a book about this. You know, I want to... I want to write things down because we'll have relatives that we wish that we had talked to and documented things while they were still alive. Um, so I thought, you know, I want to find out everything that he knows um, and get it down somewhere. Um, and I was so thrilled. Uh, Connell took like a half a second when I asked him if he would write the forward to this book because he wasn't really the first choice. He was the only choice, you know, having a front row seat to the whole story with his parents at the dining table. And then later on, he introduced me to his cousin, Ed, who was Giles's eldest son. And Ed played a huge role in what my research was. He was very important. He gave me all kinds of unknown stories and full access. I consider Ed to also be as big a friend as they come. Every writer hits a, 
hits a block, right? And when I hit mine is exactly when Ed appeared, just at the perfect time. He gave me some new information that I didn't have that um, I don't really think that anybody else has out there either. Well, and very few people know about this NFL team that was in Dallas before the Cowboys, almost 10 years before the Cowboys. Does the book just tell the story of that 1952 season, or are there other stories around the team? You know, the first chapter is called Beginnings, and it covers what happened before the team became the Dallas Texans. They, they had a start in two NFL cities, and they had an owner um, that he just thought, you know, I've lost enough money. I'm going to go on to another life. So he sold the franchise back to the NFL, who then sold it to Giles and Connell Miller here in 52. So, I mean, it tells that story. It tells the story about the patriarch Clarence Miller, how he made all of his millions of dollars, and, and how the the boys, uh, Giles and Connell, were given their money. I say at one point that Giles, uh, Giles earned his money the really old-fashioned way. He inherited it. Um, and it goes into what happened to these people before and after the season, the key organization people and players. Now, there were some great players on that team. You mentioned Les Richter. He's a Hall of Famer. Uh, I believe Gino Marchetti uh, was on that team. Who, who, were some of the, uh, who were some of the stars on that Dallas Texans team? Well, important to note that there were five Hall of Famers that suited up on that team. Um, you know, Marchetti and uh, Art Donovan. Uh, Les Richter, he wound up making the Hall of Fame, albeit somewhere else. Mike McCormick, um, he went to the Hall of Fame as a, as a legendary Browns defense, uh, offensive lineman. George Young, um, he got cut in training camp, um, and he went on to build the New York Giants of the 80s as we know it, and his smartest move was hiring Bill Parcells. And he... Um, he was cut. He thought he made the team in training camp. And, um, you know, Coach Jimmy Phelan said, well, he just felt like, uh, you know, that the military was going to get him for the Korean War effort, so he went ahead and released him. And he didn't realize that George was legally blind. And this is evidence because one time um, there was a fumble on the field, um, and he tried to scoop it up, and it was somebody else's helmet. It wasn't even the ball. But, I mean, you know, they could have had they could have had five Hall of Famers. Um, and one interesting thing is, is I think everybody is, that's in Texas long enough, they know who Fritz Von Erich is. There's a whole documentary and movie coming out about him. He was actually on the team as well. He was an SMU rookie offensive lineman, and he got cut too. Uh, went on to become a Hall of Fame wrestling legend. Yeah, wow. A lot of great ties there to a lot of different things with that Dallas Texans team. You know, eventually the, those Dallas Texans became indirectly today's Colts franchise. True that. You know, after after the brothers uh, waved the white flag, if you will, um, Burt Bell had, um, had a relationship and a friendship with Carol Rosenblum, uh, Burt Bell being the commissioner of the NFL before Roselle. And he kind of drafted Rosenblum into, um, you got to take this team. Rosenblum got a better deal than what the brothers here in Texas did. Um, they set him up better. He got team assets, you know, equipment. Um, he got good players that just weren't put together yet. 
and he um, he got the 12th league charter, and they kept they kept the same colors. Um, and it's it's important that just six years later, after leaving Dallas as one of the worst teams in the NFL history, the Colts, you know, competed in the greatest game that was branded the greatest game in NFL history with the New York Giants, the championship game. At the time, it was the most watched program in television history. And then later on in the book, you know, you enter Lamar Hunt, and, and there's a chapter there devoted to him and his dealings with Foreman, his version of the Dallas Texans, because there was some discussion there with, with Giles Miller about getting permission to call his team the Texans. And uh, that was really good because I thought that the Hunt family has done so much for local sports. I didn't want to just end the book with just the disastrous 1952 Texans. I wanted to kind of show indirectly a, a rebirth of a new Texans. When we return, Mike Coburn will tell us about the only victory of the 1952 Texans season, and he'll also ponder what might have been if the team had been financially successful. When we return to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, presented by the Tampa Suites, Waco Northeast. Hi guys, this is the Rocket, Roger Clemens, and you're listening to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast. When you come to Waco, be sure to stay at the Tampa Suites, Waco Northeast located just a short distance from the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. You'll start your day off with a delicious complimentary breakfast, and you'll also enjoy the Tampa Suites' free Wi-Fi, fitness center, and pool. Next time you come to Waco, make the Tampa Suites' Waco Northeast your home base on the road. Welcome back to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast presented by Tampa Suites, Waco Northeast. The long lost story of the 1952 NFL Dallas Texans. You know, it's incredible how much history that team is connected to. Like you said, the, the greatest game ever played between the Baltimore Colts and the New York Giants, and then later Lamar Hunt and the Kansas City Chiefs. And, uh, well, and the whole drama of the Colts <laughs> being moved out of Baltimore in the middle of the night uh, by the Mayflower moving vans while the city slept. That's right, uh, in the early 80s to Indianapolis. But yeah, that 1952 season, that was their only season in Dallas. And they only won one game. And from what you told me before, that, that's inspired the uh, working title for your book. Can you kind of tell us what that title is and kind of about that one victory that the Texans had? Yeah, I mean, the, the working title, um, Wards of the League, it, um, it came about because, you know, the brothers couldn't any longer uh, continue on business. So they, they turned the team back over to the NFL and... Commissioner Burt Bell said he didn't want any part of leaving the team in Dallas to finish out the season when the crowds or, or lack thereof or were so lousy. So he just was going to have them finish everything on the road. So in between, he got an idea because they still weren't drawn on the road. They were generally 
whoever they were playing in their city, Chicago, Green Bay, where they were the lowest draw of any team. So they were coming back from a game, um, and they coming back to Chicago, and Bell had left a message for Jimmy Phelan, and he said, uh, you know, you're going to stop in Akron, and the game's been moved to Thursday. It was Thanksgiving Day, and he's like, uh, you're going to play in the Rubber Bowl against the Chicago Bears, and you're going to be the second part of a doubleheader because they're going to have the, the Akron High School Championship as the first game, and uh, you guys will be the second. So they stopped, and they did their, their routine with shorter rest, and then the day of the game, the um, the crowd was a really decent crowd. They sold out about half of, of the Rubber Bowl's capacity, so it looked good. And they, you know, arrived early, and they did their walkthroughs and stuff, and then they left the stadium, you know, while the game was playing and came back. And once they came back, they saw the, the size of the crowd, and they just thought, this is amazing. This is great. And they were really inspired. Right up until the time that the crowd started leaving mass exodus everybody wanted to go home and eat turkey and um wound up about 2200 people stayed it was documented as the smallest crowd to see a game in nfl history of course before covid but it was so sad because they were disheartened watching everybody leave and nobody wanted to see them play so you know the the title came about because it, it was really something that resonated in my head that Jimmy Phelan, their coach, had seen all this, and he came into the locker room, and the rusty door slings open, and he creeps, and and uh, he's looking around the room, and they're, they're wanting some sort of emotional nutrition and pep talk, and he said, uh, gentlemen, it hasn't been the best of seasons, but it is Thanksgiving Day, and you have a lot to be thankful for. Oh, we were cast out of Dallas. And now we're wards of the league. And then he went on and he said, uh, all of those that have come before you have never had what you're going to have today. Rather than introduce you as a team, you can all go up in the stands and meet them individually. So um, so they did that. And George Hallis was out watching his team warm up. And he was looking at all these bums, you know, walking around the stands. And then they took a, some 55-gallon drums and built bonfires on their bench because it was getting cold and he's like okay i'm going to put in whoever's sitting at the end of the bench the third and fourth string so they did that well the texans were inspired by it and they jumped out to a big lead and uh it, it, they celebrated a little too early because the, the bears came back on them, took the lead but for some thanksgiving miracle at the end they completed a touchdown pass and pulled the game out so that was the first professional football victory for the city of Dallas. Wow, and it came in Akron, Ohio, after a high school game had been played. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's pretty incredible. That's that's a that's a piece of Texas sports history that that very few people know about, and very few people even really know about the Dallas Texans. and And it's great that you're doing this work. Is there another story or, or another thing that's important that you can share with us? You know, one of my favorite parts is that, you know, when they were doing like a little mini press conference, when the, when the brothers had finally decided it's time to, uh, time to fold, they had formed an announcement, brought the press in, and 
read it, two of them and everything. And then Giles was really, he was the, the bleeder. He was the, the main guy. He was getting just grilled by the local press. And Connell was the older brother, and he wanted to step in. And, um, and he had just said, you know what, we, we just didn't get the support that we thought we would get. They had not told the commissioner, Burt Bell, yet that they were going to make this announcement. One of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram writers like, well, if you felt this way, why did you get into this in the first place? And good-natured Connell just responded, well, I felt like it was really a good idea at the time. <laughs> that was his last, that ended the press conference. And, you know, we know now it, it, it was a good idea. It was just not at the right time. Because if it weren't, you know, why would Jerry Jones turn $150 million investment into $8 billion later on? You know, there's other stories about, um, you know, Dallas was, you know, choked into the Jim Crow era. The racial climate in Dallas was still toxic. So two of the team's best players were black players who scored most of the points on offense. Calafero and uh, Buddy Young. Yeah, and they actually made the move and became really good cult players um, after 52. Um, there's a chapter on training camp. Dallas was the southernmost team in the NFL by far. I mean, they weren't even close to Washington, D.C. at the time. And, uh, you know, they just didn't realize that training camp's coming in July. Where are we going to set up a, a base camp? And rather than going north into Oklahoma or, or some cooler climate, they started going towards Mexico, and they got as far south as Kerrville. And um, they held their training camp in, in an area that was you couldn't grow anything but dirt and prairie grass um, and its its population was mainly fire ants and rattlesnakes but they set up at the Kerrville um, Institute and did their training camp there and uh, most of their exhibition games were in and around well they were all in Texas but they were fairly close driving bus distance and they had an equipment manager um, who had never seen a football game. His name was Willie Garcia. Um, but he did know the brothers because he managed a Mexican food restaurant that they owned. Um, and they, the players had noticed that he was walking with a lamp, and they didn't realize, you know, that, well, why is he walking with a lamp? And they found out it was, he had an artificial leg. It was a wooden leg. And uh, right at, at the start, when the balls would careen off the field into the tall prairie grass where the rattlesnakes lived, they sent Willie in there to, to get the balls and retrieve them because they thought he had a 50% better chance of not getting bit. Um, you know, <laughs> wow. There's all kinds wow. of funny stories in there, you know. What an incredible story. And, and I'm sure this has uncovered so many great stories. And it's, it's a piece of NFL history that hasn't been covered at all yet. And, you know, we're really excited that you're putting this book together. What is the timeline for it coming out, and when can we look forward to uh, to reading this? Well, I don't I don't really have a hard timeline yet. I, I do want to mention um, the first person to ever actually read this book was my friend Kurt Daniels, who's who served as my editor on this. Um, Kurt is with the Dallas Cowboys, and he's their chief editor in charge of publications. And knowing Kurt for about ten years, I just thought there's no one better to work with on this because. He had some background and knew something of the stories, one of the 1% that did. I just thought rather than having a typical editor that would just cut out things that are important, that, you know, we would be able to frame them up a little bit better, that with somebody that had some knowledge behind it. So 
you know, my hope is that it's going to come out soon and, you know, maybe before the upcoming season. What do you hope this book accomplishes? Just for people to be aware of the story, really. I mean, it's a shame that we have so much history on things that happen in, in the world, and this team was just just forgotten. The cult organization, you know, became grown out of this team. And, you know, um, I grew up in the 70s reading, you know, a lot of old football books from the earlier days before then and checking out books in school and public libraries, you know, you find things in those books, those old books that you don't find today on the internet or in any new books that have been written by newer writers. Um, just so many fascinating old stories and tidbits that, that just didn't continue and pass on to the next generation. And you know that because you've written about some of these type things in, in your books too. So my hope is that this book is going to become one of those type of things and that people will say, well, that's the book where I learned about the Dallas Texans. Somebody, somebody had found out about it in the, you know, 30 some years ago and they wrote down everything they knew about it before it was too late. The very ending chapter is kind of like what it could have been because it was like, well, what would have happened if the Texans had made it? If they'd gotten the Dallas Council to give them a loan, if they'd gotten a bailout from the league, or if they'd gotten Doak Walker and they sold tickets. Well, what would have been is that the Baltimore Colts would have never become born. The Dallas Cowboys wouldn't have become a part of the picture because we already had a team. And then Lamar Hunt would have never formed the AFL because his whole goal was just to get a team in Dallas. If you do the count, it takes out half the league. It takes out all the AFC, practically. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please like, review, and share the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember that you can also follow the Texas Sports Hall of Fame on its social media channels on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Come visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame and when you do, book your stay at the Town Play Suites, Waco Northeast, a touchdown of a hotel located just minutes from the Texas Sports Hall of Fame.